Hello? Hello? Hello, Cliffy? Cliffy, it's Uncle Cliff Cliff. Cliffy? It's podcast time. And now, the Birthday Boy Podcast. Full stick of butter. Cliffy, it's Grandma Cliff Cliff. Give me a call at your convenience, okay? Cliff, this is your Uncle Cliff Cliff. Here's the host of Birthday Boy Podcast. The one and the only, Johnny Boy. My little baby boy. Baby butter boy. Womack style. Cliffy. I love you. Toggling your balls. Toggling your balls. Where's the rodeo? Uh, toggling his balls. I like your boots. Just below your nipple. Where are you headed? The biggest one yet. Toggle your balls. Targling your balls. Fifty shades of gray. Slack, Cliffy. The biggest one yet. Cliffy. Oh my god. Hey there, teacher. It's going to be outrageous. What's my assignment? Your grandmother. I like your rubric. Break down Dale Winslow. Oh, please. Degrade me. Cliffy baseball. Weep this. My little baby butter boy, little butter boy, clippy boy, baby boy. Sweet then. That's how you get blisters, Clippy. That's how you get blisters. Womack style. That sure tastes delicious. In my mouth. Hey, firewoman. Bibleopoly, Cliff. Where's the fire? Puzzle, your balls. You're a smoker. The oatmeal tasting booth. Toggling your balls. Toggle your balls. Baby Butter Boy. The biggest and the best. You goddamn Butter Boy, son of a bitch. I can't get out of fuck of you, son of a bitch. To the Womack family holiday spectacular. Your grandmother just told me the good news. Or as we like to call it, the pizzle. Helmet's mayonnaise. The raucous red glare, the bombs bursting in air, and a delicious Helios pizza in your oven. Puzzle, your balls. Womack style. Hey, yeah. What is up? A tremendous Tuesday to you. You like that, you fucking assholes. Jay and Chris. Okay, so uh, yeah, I did a podcast yesterday, and here I am doing a podcast today. Isn't that weird? <clears throat> uh, I had no plan to do a podcast today, because not only did I do one podcast yesterday, I did two fucking podcasts yesterday, so the idea that I'm doing another one today, episode nine, is really strange. I had zero intention of doing it, but I was uh, I found some some emails and some things from the past that I just wanted to, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to put them out on the podcast just to see how it goes. 
uh, before I before I forget about the forget about these things again for another another five years. So uh, I mentioned a bunch of things on the last couple of episodes about Seacoast, and I worked with these two assholes named Jay and Chris, and we were called the Cackling Crows. And one of the things that we did, in addition to cackling all day, cackling all the live long day, was we uh, we would just make up ridiculous stories about the people that we worked with and worked for uh, at this particular bank. And uh, we kind of decided that the, this would be a really good sitcom. And I still say this would be a really good sitcom. And the sitcom would be called Bank Life. And I realized, I, I forgot, like, I kind of, in a very half-assed, stupid sort of way, wrote the, the pilot episode of Bank Life. And so I'm going to try to read it and act it out. Not, not really act it out, just more read it you know, slightly alter the voices of the different characters so you can tell the difference between them. But this is a, this is going to be a very crude reading of a very crude I script. I put script in air quotes. It's not really, it's, it's whatever. It's a something, but I, I thought I would, I thought I would read this script and, uh, and just see, see where it goes. So let's take a look. This is, this is episode one of season one, the pilot episode of bank life. And uh, just to set the stage here, the first scene takes place. Uh, it's a dream sequence. Uh, the first scene takes place in the boardroom. There's a big wooden uh, boardroom table, basically a U-shaped table surrounding uh, U-shaped table where all the board members, the executives, various members of the accounting department and so forth are seated at this table. It's a board meeting that's taking place. And as we see, uh, the first character, first character's name is Lenny Sampson. Lenny Sampson is president and CEO of Beach Coast Bank, located on what is known as the Plunder Coast of Florida, uh, as opposed to definitely not to be confused with Seacoast Bank, that's located on the Treasure Coast of Florida. That's they are in no way, shape, or form related. This is Beach Coast Bank, located on the Plunder Coast. Uh, as opposed to Seacoast, which is a real bank located on the Treasure Coast in Florida. So Lenny Sampson, he's the president and CEO. He's having a board meeting, uh, and he is addressing uh, he's addressing one of uh, one of the uh, one of the bank executives uh, who's in charge of of, of loans, and uh, and took some clients, some potential clients, out to dinner. Uh, and he's having he's he's giving this guy a good dressing down. Uh, Lashley is his name. Uh, Lashley is is uh, is really passionate about his job. Loves to try and sell everybody on boats and boat loans. And uh, and Lenny Sampson uh, has a bone to pick with Mr. Lashley. Uh, so here we go with this uh, this boardroom sequence. Here's Lenny Sampson, and he's he's addressing. He's addressing Lashley, and Lashley is actually standing in the center of the room. The, the boardroom table, I said, is a U-shape. All the executives are sitting around the table, and Lashley is standing in the middle of the room uh, facing Lenny Sampson, who's at the head of the boardroom table, uh, and he's, uh, he's pleading with, with Mr. Sampson. And Lashley says, But Mr. S Mr. Sampson, I was taking a boat enthusiast, enthusiast out to lunch at Flanagan's. I was trying to sell a boat. Please, have mercy on me, Your Excellence. Lenny Sampson says, in a very overpowering voice that doesn't really resemble his normal speaking voice, Lenny says, 
In what realm of the Seven Kings of Banking is it considered appropriate to dine from anything other than the lunch special menu? Answer me! Lashley, now crying. But I was trying to sell a boat, Mr. Sampson. We, we wanted servant turf. I was trying to sell a boat. I was trying to sell a boat and a boat loan for the boat. He would use us as a loan for the boat, for the bank. Boats, banks, boat loans. In the name of Buffett, Mr. Sampson, have mercy on me. Tom Durgin, who's the chief financial officer of Beach Coast, enters the arena, the boardroom arena, wielding an axe and wearing an executioner's mask. Lenny says, I will leave your fate to the banking gods this day. Lashley says, Buffett, save me. Soros, protect me. Tom Durgin says, Emperor Hudson, what do the banking gods decree this day? Lenny stands out of his boardroom chair. His fist extended, shakes as though possessed. His thumb gestures, gestures upward as a faint sigh of relief mixed with a look of terror washes over Lashley's face. Suddenly, as though by the actions of a greater, more powerful entity, Denny's thumb shoots downward. Lashley screams. Tom Durgin says, Where are your banking gods now? Lashley. Buffett, why have you forsaken me? Boats. Boat loans. Surf and turf. Then Jean. Jean Dunham gets up out of her chair. Jean is the chief operating officer of Beach Coast. She looks at Lashley and yells, Shut the fuck up, Lashley, you fucking pussy. I came here to do two things. Get high as a motherfucker and watch you die. And I'm all out of weed. Toss him the sailfish and the old-timey stock thingy. Perhaps there will be a match. Perhaps these will be a match for Tom and his axe and his bloodlust. And I should interject here. There, uh, there's an old-timey stock ticker as, a, as a, a nice artifact in this boardroom, as well as a sailfish mounted on the wall, which is, then, uh, which is then tossed to Lashley to use as a weapon to try and defend himself. But it's too late, because Tom raises his axe to strike down Lashley. Lashley reaches for the sailfish and screams and begs for mercy as the axe strikes, and Lashley's head rolls across the room in front of Lenny. Lenny then wakes up in a cold sweat, realizing it was a dream. His wife rolls over. What's wrong, dear? Lenny. Oh, I was just having the most wonderful dream. Wife. The one where you have Lashley killed? Yes, where I have Lashley killed. And now I'll never get back to sleep. Then cut to the opening credits of Bank Life, showing a montage of the surrounding Plunder Coast area as well as the characters and credits. A young man in his mid-twenties by the name of Derek Fry arrives at Beach Coast via taxi for his first day of work. He looks at the surroundings of the Plunder Coast, talks to the taxi driver about his first day at Beach Coast Regional Bank. Derek's a young guy in his mid-twenties. He's from New York, looking forward to the new position. As he's talking to the taxi driver, we see scenes of the taxi going through the horrible traffic circles, which are really just triangles, and all the weird sign guys and hobos on the curb as he heads to work. Derek arrives at Beach Coast just as a truck labeled Bank Meat pulls away, only to see what looks like another hobo changing and bathing in the fountain out front. 
based on the suit jacket that is four sizes too big and the Bermuda shorts that are so short it looks like he's not wearing pants. He can only assume that it's one of the uh, local homeless population. Derek goes in and meets his new accounting and finance co-workers, Tom Durgin. He's the chief financial officer, head of the department, loves golf, talking about golf, playing golf, and also having impromptu meetings in the men's room. Susan Tompkins, a number one, another one of the analysts in the accounting department, spelled X-I-A-O-N-G-T-I-A-X-O-U, but again pronounced Susan Tompkins, uh, originally from China, hates fat people, hates her son who is two years old and only fluent in three languages, has a PhD in economics but paid $650,000 for her house in 2006, and it's now worth roughly 17 k and therefore cannot leave the Plunder Coast or Beach Coast as she is severely underwater. Pete Martinez, another member of the accounting department and finance, has left the bank 37 times for other jobs and other financial institutions that go out of business within six months of his hiring. Each time he comes back and it's for less money annually than he was making when he left in the first place. And his role downgrades each time. He is now making roughly 14000 a year, but has no other options in town as he has literally worked for every other bank. Mike Ellis, in his late 20s, early 30s, much like Derek, he's a cool, laid-back guy, knows the ropes, and is very smart. Kelly Kettering, senior accountant, who uh, is also in her late 20s, early 30s, attractive, successful, intelligent, Derek is, is very much attracted to her, and the feeling seems to be mutual as well. Durgin sings the praises of Derek and says he knew from the moment the conversion van left the parking lot that Derek was the one. Mike, Pete, and Kelly asked Derek privately, Oh no, he didn't, did he? He didn't give you the van interview, did he? We then flash back to a conversion van interview. And Derek's disbelief that A, someone still owns a conversion van, and B, that he's actually being interviewed for his senior financial analyst position while riding around the Plunder Coast in a high-top conversion van. We also see the van screeching across several lanes of traffic into a shopping mall to determine whether or not the movie theater has 15 screens versus 12 screens. Flashback ends, and the accounting team gets acquainted. They go into the boardroom for the Daily Update Management Committee meeting, also known as DUMCO, which is set to plan the next quarterly update management committee, known as QUMCO, uh, which is coming up in a week. Derek is introduced to the board members, including loan officer Quincy Lashley, as I mentioned, uh, who's a loan officer trying to sell uh, Derek on a boat almost immediately. Lenny interrupts uh, Lashley trying to sell Derek on a boat, as, as, as Lashley is trying to sell a boat loan and a boat to Derek, Lenny interrupts. Oh, hi, Lashley. I noticed you were just about to go sit in the corner and stop selling our products to new hires. Lenny introduces himself to Derek and then tells him that the bank's financial future literally hinges on the analysis, forecasts, and reporting that Derek and his team will be producing. But not to be stressed, other than the bank's financial future and his employment, once again, literally hinge on how well he does at his job. Lenny uh, takes attendance, approves last week's meeting uh, minutes. Uh, but first, before the meeting gets started, as always in the tradition of Beach Coast and every meeting, they sing the Beach Coast Regional Bank Anthem. Uh, 
Beach Coast, Beach Coast, I love you. 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 The accounting team, Derek, Kelly, Pete, Mike, all look at each other in a puzzled and embarrassed kind of way. The Dumco meeting packets are passed out, and Lenny begins to discuss the first page and approve minutes from yesterday's Dumco, in which they approve meeting minutes from the weekly management uh, weekly update management committee meeting, also known as WUMCO. Lashley interrupts. Lenny, what is it, Lashley? Lashley, uh, well, sir, it's just that, uh, well, why do we have so many meetings at this bank? Excuse me? there's just so many meetings, it's hard for people to find time to do actual work. I mean, there's the daily update management meeting, uh, management committee. Dumco, yes. And then there's the weekly update management committee. Wumco. The monthly update management committee meeting. Mumco, of course. The bank update management committee meeting. Bumco, naturally. Yes, right, I mean, there are so many committees and so many meetings. We are each on no less than four different committees and have to attend no less than nine committee meetings in any given week. I mean, it's a bit... Lenny responds, A bit what, Lashley? Uh, it's a bit much, sir. So you mean to tell me you think this bank would be better off without Dumco, Wumco, Mumco, and Bumco? Well, maybe not all of them. Maybe we could get rid of the quarterly meeting. Quumco? You dare suggest we eliminate Quumco? That's like asking me to kill my own child, you son of a bitch, Lashley. Okay, but maybe we don't need the committee update management committee meeting. I mean, don't you think that's a bit redundant? Lenny responds, You hear that, everyone? First he wants to kill off Quumco, now he wants to eliminate Cumco. Why don't we just close the bank and open an orange Julius stand, you bastard, Lashley? Okay, okay, how about this? We simply get rid of the yearly update management committee. It's only one meeting per year. It's no big deal. We just... Lenny cuts him off. Yumco? You dare sit before me and suggest we pull Yumco? So guess what, gang? If Lashley were president, we'd sit around all day diddling our bums. Sir, I think the expression is twiddling our thumb. Silence, Lashley! First you suggest we mangle our sacred tenets of bank success, and then you attempt to correct me in my own boardroom? Sir, I, I didn't mean to. I was only suggesting that we... There are seven key meetings that are standard to any good, successful regional bank. Destroy those meetings, and you, sir, have destroyed the bank. And any bank who does not have a regular standing, Dumco, Wumco, Mumco, Quumco, Cumco, Bumco, and Yumco, is a bank divided and a bank that will surely fail. Or maybe it is he who suggests the removal of Dumco, Wumco, Mumco, Quumco, Cumco, Bumco, and Yumco, who will not last long himself. Durgin looks to the analysts. Uh, hey, listen, guys, uh, this could go on for a while. I gotta hit the head. Definitely number one, possibly number two, but I'm gonna play it by ear. Pete responds, Okay, Tom, we get it. Go, go. Durgin exits the boardroom as suddenly, Cookie Sampson enters the room with two thuggish goons wearing royal blue suits and ten-gallon hats. Cookie Sampson is the founder of and CCEO of the bank, whereas Lenny Sampson is the CEO, Cookie Sampson is the CCEO, which is the chief chief executive officer. 
Uh, Derek looks at Cookie Sampson and realizes that this is in fact the same individual who he thought was a homeless man bathing in the fountain just a few hours ago upon his arrival for his first day of work. He was quite mistaken, as Cookie Sampson is indeed a very powerful individual, again, the founder of the bank, the CCEO, and also he happens to be Lenny's father. So, Tom Durgin exits as Cookie enters the room with two thuggish goons wearing royal blue suits and 10-gallon hats. Derek asks Tom, Mike, Kelly, and Pete who that is, and they tell him. Derek, I thought he was a homeless man. He was bathing in the fountain. Mike, he's 98 years old and does whatever he wants. I mean, he started this bank during the Great Depression. He can do whatever he wants. And that's why he wears short shorts and suit jackets that are four times too big for his body. He just doesn't care. And why should he? Mike points to the oil painting of Cookie and Lenny from 1990 when the suit jacket was only two sizes too big and he had jorts on instead of short shorts. Derek asks, is Cookie a nickname? Pete, nope. Cookie's father, an old prospector named Jim Whiskey Piss Sampson, wanted to toughen his son up, so he named him Cookie to toughen him up. And now Cookie believes he failed as a father. Because his, Kelly jumps in, doing an imitation of Cookie, goddamn ninth wife, a.k.a. Lenny's mom, wouldn't let me use Princess Penelope Pussyfeather as Lenny's name in the hopes of making him the manliest man on the planet. Mike then continues, Yeah, and to make things worse, Cookie retired on September 18th, 2008 as CEO and put Lenny in charge on September 19th, the day of the biggest economic meltdown in history. Cookie has blamed Lenny every day since for being a failure as CEO. Lenny is clearly unnerved at the sight of his father, who is also the chairman of the board and direct board of directors at Beach Coast, and, as I mentioned, the CCEO, Chief Chief Executive Officer. Lenny's confidence instantly dwindles. Hello, son. Hello, Dad. You catch Bachelorette last night? As a matter of fact, I did. Thank you for asking. He's cut off. Ha! Pussy! I knew it! <laughs> Lenny puts his head down in shame. Cookie says, addressing the entire boardroom, Sorry I'm late, gang. I was banging one of them old gals from Tipsy's Alehouse. I had to clean the stench of minimum wage off my junk. And, well, being that it was nearly 9 a.m., time for Dunk Dumco, I thought it would be cromulent of me to scrub my Titleist and my big birther off in the old fountain. <laughs> Denny. Scrunching his face in disbelief, the cookie would not only use a fake word like cromulent, more so than being in disbelief, the other horrific things he just described. Dad, that is unbelievably hor- is cut off. Horish of her? I know, but the old gal from Tipsy's ain't been rowed like that in a good long while, and well, I'm nothing if not charitable, you know that. You know that. So I did what any good community leader would do. The whole boardroom groans in disgust. Gene Dunham, COO. Say, doesn't Durgin's wife work at Tipsy's? Lenny. Hey, yeah, she does. Uh, don't tell me, Dad, you didn't. Nah, son, don't you think I'd know if I were porking my CFO of 30 years' wife? I'm 98, not 103, for Christ's sake. Porking? Look, the point is, son... I've known Tom and Trixie Durgin since 1978 when I hired him to wax the longhorns on my Cadillac. I was pallbearer at their wedding, for Christ's sake. 
You mean ring bearer. What I say? Look, it doesn't matter about all that jazz. I know Trixie Durgeon better than I know all my illegitimate children and ex-wives combined, and I certainly think I'd know if I was mounting her. The entire boardroom groans and grunts in disgust. Cookie finishes. Now, Trixie is the six-foot-two Jamaican one, right? Denny, in stunned disbelief. You're kidding, right, Dad? About what? No, not in any way is Tom Durgeon's wife, who you have known for 30 years, who you see every Friday when you go to the yacht club with the Durgeons for dinner, who got a part-time job at Tipsy's Alehouse so she could sneak you and Tom coupons for free binger salads, who's five foot five, blonde, 48 years old, 120 pounds, and has a scar on her right shoulder from when you once pierced her trying to mount that sailfish on the wall. Points to the sailfish mounted on the wall. A six foot two Jamaican woman. She's not. No! Yo! Boardroom collectively. Oh my god, that's disgusting. I can't believe it. Cookie interrupts. Look, if it makes you a bunch of nervous Nancys feel better, I boarded the plane from the rear entrance, if you know what I mean. So that could have been anyone. <laughs> Boardroom collectively again. Oh my god, that's disgusting. Tom Durgeon returns from the restroom and enters the room, and everybody goes silent. Tom. Hey, Cook. Hey, old sport, looking sharp, says Cookie. Not too bad yourself, old timer. Uh-oh. I know that look. Some lucky lady got a tour of the cookie factory. Ha-ha, <laughs> you old dog. Let me guess, rear boarding this time? Cookie. Ha-ha, <laughs> you betcha, old boy. Say, don't we have a meeting to get to? It's dumpco time, apparently, according to my watch. Lenny continues with the meeting. Lenny turns from Cookie in complete and total disgust. So, as I was saying, Lashley, in no way, shape, or form will we, we, will we be removing Dumco, Wumco, Munco, Bum, Cookie interrupts. Get rid of Wumco. But, Dad, you can't get rid of Wumco. Wumco is gone. That's what Wumco is. Lenny, reluctantly. All in favor? Group. Aye. Lenny. Very well. From henceforth, Wumco is no longer. Cookie. Son, what is this on the page? As he looks at the Dumco package. Uh, which page, sir? On every page, you mealy-mouthed communist. Uh, well, I'm not sure, I because it looks like you just plastered garbage on every page. Is this fecal matter? What is this font that font type that infects my pages and looks like clown makeup on a hobo. Uh, I'm not sure. I believe it's basic font, maybe Times New. You know goddamn well what it is. Say it! Lenny whimpers. It's Calibri. Calibri Sans Serif, sir. Say it! It's Calibri Sans Serif! And what is Calibri Sans Serif, son? Lenny, inaudible. It's... Cookie interrupts. It's pussy font. Why don't we just write our board packages with crayon or include a finger painting of a dandelion if this is the way you plan on running this bank? What are we running? Dandelion Regional Bank of fucking unicorns and pixies? Lenny. No, sir. Are we going to use that font again? No, sir. And what... Font will we use from now on, son? Well, I, I guess we could use... 
Hattenschweiler Boldface. Hattenschweiler Boldface. You're goddamn right. Now come here, son. I, I'm sorry. I lost my temper in front of all your friends. Uh, Dad, those are other board members, executives, and key staff members. Uh, whatever, son. Come on over here and give old Cookie a hug. Lenny and Cookie embrace. Lenny goes to the beverage cart at the back of the boardroom and pours a drink as Cookie takes a seat in Lenny's chair. Oh, and son, there is one last thing. Lenny looks up slowly and lowers the glass of water from his mouth. Then he knows exactly what's supposed to happen. And he tries to flee, running on top of the boardroom table, using the accountants and other executives as shields, trying to smash the window with the sailfish, running across the couch and other furniture, only to be pulled back by Cookie's two goons in their 10-gallon hats. Lenny looks at the oil, oil painting of Cookie, demonic smile following Lenny as he's carried by his arms and legs by the two goons toward Cookie. Lenny yells, Someone, please, stop this. Help. Lenny then gets set down on his dad's lap. Cookie has already removed Denny's slacks, revealing his bare, white ass cheeks. Everything takes place in slow motion as Cookie raises his hand up in an attempt to punish Lenny for using the wrong font type. And he slams his hand down on Cookie on Lenny's bare cheek repeatedly over and over in slow motion. As this is happening, Lenny yells in slow motion, No! Lenny's flabby cheeks ripple with every strike of his dad Cookie's hand. No! Daddy! Cookie finishes, piggybacks on top of one of his goons and exits the room yelling, Hattenschweiler! As he leaves. The board and the executives look over the table as an emasculated Lenny lies face down, red hand marks plastered on his ass cheeks. They all look at each other in amazement, disbelief, and horror. The next scene takes us to the lunchroom, also known as Bonnie's Beach Stro, a.k.a. Bistro. Derek is about to encounter his first Beach Stro turkey sandwich. As they're waiting in line, Katie wonders if Turkey Hands is working today. Who's Turkey Hands? asked Derek. Katie responds that Turkey Hands is one of the many prison inmates who work in the Beach Coast Beachstro on a part-time basis as part of the work release program that Bonnie has uh, supported for many years. Suddenly a large, muscular, sweaty man emerges from the food prep kitchen area, covered from head to toe in tattoos, including several teardrops on his cheeks. His bare hands are covered with sliced deli turkey, which he violently slams down on the sandwich preparation cutting board. Derek now realizes who Turkey Hands is. He gives Derek a sandwich with bare-handed turkey and another handful of turkey. The gang sits down with Lenny 
at the lunch table, and Lenny really reiterates the importance of not messing up next week's Quumco and how important it is to put together the right analytics and reporting so that the bank doesn't go under. We see a montage of Derek and team working all week as they prepare for the Quumco meeting. Late hours, lots of late nights, weekends. We then arrive at the Quumco meeting day. Derek has prepared all week with his team. They've got their reporting ready. And Derek nervously takes one deep breath as he enters the boardroom for the Quumco meeting. And suddenly Derek opens the door to see that Lenny is dressed as the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. And other executives are dressed as various characters from the Ghostbusters movies. The Ghostbusters themselves, Janine, Slimer, and Lashley, who uh, I just want to interject, will be played by Rick Moranis. I feel that this will be... Uh, obviously, this script is just so goddamn strong that how could Rick Moranis turn down a role, uh, the role of a lifetime? So Lashley will, for this scene, uh, clearly the uh, the Quemco meeting uh, has a Ghostbusters theme to it. Uh, Lashley will be played by Rick Moranis, who's dressed as Lewis Tuttle, uh, for this scene. That's his costume, is Rick Moranis' character from Ghostbusters, which will be played by Rick Moranis. And I, I'm sure he'll be very interested in doing this, because, again, uh, look at this script. It's so strong. It's so fucking strong. And, uh, of course, CFO Tom Durgin is dressed as Vigo the Carpathian from the second Ghostbusters movie. The accounting and finance team is stunned that Derek didn't see the part of the memo where the theme of this quarter's Quemco meeting is Bustin' Makes Me Feel Good. Lenny berates Lashley for such a lazy and pathetic Lewis Tuttle costume. Derek presents the Quemco report in a montage as uh, Bobby Brown's We're On Our Own from Ghostbusters 2 plays over scenes of Lenny dressed as Stay Puft, clapping and nodding in approval as we see charts, graphs, and words like bank terms and financial concepts literally float past the screen. Even Derek does a little dance, twirl, and spin as he's presenting the materials to a captivated boardroom. The montage ends as suddenly, suddenly the board members applaud Derek and his team's efforts, which is then cut off by Cookie Sampson showing up on the big screen via Skype. Cookie informs, informs the boardroom that he's now at Tipsy's Alehouse, and he has a special Quumco surprise for them. First one to Tipsy's gets a round on me. Last one to Tipsy's is fired. The board is in disbelief. They turn to Lenny for reassurance that is not the case, but see his empty chair spinning. Everyone starts to panic, scramble, and run for the door, only to realize that the door has been locked from the outside by Lenny, who runs through the halls of Beach Coast, punching random employees and knocking them out of the way, even knocking somebody out of the way who was waiting for the elevator as Lenny tries to get on, only to realize that his Stay Puft Marshmallow Man costume is too big to fit in the elevator. Lenny screams and runs to the stairs as board members pour out of the boardroom, having broken the locks open. Derek, along with Kelly, Mike, and Pete, and Susan are still in the boardroom, and Kelly and Mike reassure Derek that this happens every time and that Cookie is too out of it to remember who he fired last, last Quemco, so they just lay back and watch it all play out. It's really inconsequential. Lenny is now in the stairwell being chased by Tom Durgin and Gene Dunham down the stairs. 
he falls backward and slides down the stairs in his Stay Puft costume and out the door. Outside in the parking lot, Lenny grabs a police tire spike that he had hidden in a bush and unrolls it onto the parking lot as bank employees drive around from the back parking lot around the corner and have their tires slashed by the spike strip. Lenny is stopped by an elderly couple who's there to do some banking and want to talk about banking and how much they love their bank and their community. Lenny panics as he sees Tom and Gene head for their cars and yells, Shut the fuck up! to the old couple and knocks them into the fountain as he run, runs toward Tom and Gene's car. Lenny grabs Gene's keys just as she's about to unlock her car and he jumps in. Now, having commandeered Gene's car, he's chasing after Tom's car. Both Tom and Lenny, driving Gene's car, are stuck at the stoplight. As they're waiting and revving their respective engines, Gene jumps on the hood of Lenny's car, which is really Gene's car driven by Lenny. The light turns green. Gene yells, Don't you dare, Lenny! Suddenly, Lenny and Tom both peel out, carrying Gene on the hood of her own car, being driven by Lenny and racing Tom Durgin all the way to Tipsy's Alehouse. Derek, Kelly, Mike, Pete, as well as uh, Susan, watch from the windows of the lounge as the rest of the employees and executives peel off down the road, hoping to not be fired. Lenny and Durgin pull into Tipsy's at the same time, and Lenny, slamming onto the brakes, sends Gene flying through the window of Tipsy's, where Cookie is waiting by the, by the bar and yells, Winner! as Gene comes crashing through the window and onto the pool table. We cut back to Derek in his office, packing his things as he has decided that this place is insane, and he's moving back to New York immediately in the hopes that he can beg for his old job back. Mike finds him and, in an attempt to change his mind, offers to show him something. Derek and Mike go to the third floor and climb the secret ladder to the roof where Kelly, Pete, Christine, Susan, and about a dozen or so non-executives, bank tellers, and other employees are talking, mingling, dancing, drinking, laughing, and having a great time on the roof. Derek sees that things might not be so crazy after all, and catching a friendly glance from Kelly, who's over by the bar, decides he'll give this job a chance. We then come back, cut back to Tipsy's, where Cookie tells Lenny he showed real leadership and cunning when trying to lock your staff into the boardroom. The cunning, ruthless, and yet wildly effeminate CEO. Saying effeminate, uh, Cookie is noting that Denny's girl haircut, which is only slightly longer than a buzz cut, but to Cookie, anything longer than a buzz cut is a pussy haircut. Because Cookie, of course, is very old school. Lashley, still being played by Rick Moranis, obviously, is seen getting a drink at the bar at Tipsy's Alehouse next to Cookie and Lenny. Cookie looks over and says, Lashley, in all my years and all my decades of banking, I've never seen a worse Lewis Tuttle costume in all my life. You're fired, Lashley. Get the hell out of here. Lashley says, Ah, oh, jeez. Lenny and Cookie cling beer bottles as we cut to the entrance of Beach Coast and see a mysterious figure show up and get out of a cab. He's holding a picture of the Beach Coast building and removes the picture from his gaze. Now looking at the real Beach Coast in the background. He makes a hmm sound and scoffs at the sight of Beach Coast, then gets back into his car and drives off. It will be revealed in the next episode that this individual is the nefarious bank examiner Garfield Seaman. We crane back to the roof and see that the revelers enjoying their impromptu celebration as we fade out on the ocean and the background. And like I said, that's that's a very crude uh, 
a crude outline slash script of season one, episode one, the pilot of Bank Life. That's how we meet all of these crazy characters and set things up a little bit for what's to come down the road with nonstop hijinks and zaniness, as well as the bank examiner coming to town. And Garfield Seaman, you better believe, uh, he is no fan of how Beach Coast is run, and he wants to do anything in his power to put fines and sanctions on, uh, on Beach Coast that are so severe that it will force them to close their doors once and for all. But something tells me that Lenny and Cookie and the whole team, despite their differences, despite the infighting, they may very well come together in the end against a common foe. So, <laughs> so I've got a couple of, uh, hold on a sec. And there's a, f you know, there's a number of episodes. There's a rough outline. And for those of you who sat and listened to the whole uh, pilot of Bank Life, thanks, I appreciate it. Because, <laughs> I don't know, maybe, that, maybe it fucking sucks. But I wanted to read it because it's something that I wrote quite, a, maybe four, five, six years ago. Yeah, probably goddamn close to six years ago. Yeah, five or six years ago. And, uh, and Chris and Jay have discussed it in texts quite a bit back and forth, bouncing ideas off of each other. And I really hope that someday you will be watching Bank Life on Netflix or some somewhere, somehow, some way. Um, so there's a number of uh, number of episodes, just the titles, and I know I have outlines for these somewhere. Um, but I, I was going through my emails and some files, and I found some of this stuff. I thought it would be fun to read, so I thought I'd read the pilot. So I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, some episodes. The episode one is called Bank Life. Episode two is called The Most Dangerous Bank Game, which is. Uh, yeah, it's it's Cookie uh, sending sending the executives on a on a team building exercise where they where they hunt uh, the most dangerous game, which of course is other humans. Uh, Boats and Banks is one of the titles. Uh, an adventurous day at sea on Cookie's yacht with Lenny and the accounting gang invited out there, and more more hijinks ensue with some uh, some international uh, international elements to it international ramifications uh there is uh yeah of course in ep the episode where garfield seaman he he's in the background this whole time trying to put this bank out of business um we have an episode called bank wars which is kind of like uh, sort of like college pranks you know school rival pranks the the other the other bank in town uh has has its equivalent of lenny and it's equivalent of Derek, and they're both assholes. Uh, his name is AJ Mancuso, and he has his uh, his employee. And there's all kinds of different sports challenges and things. And uh, he's just kind of a, an alpha male type guy. This this guy a AJ literally stands for alpha jock. We won't actually reveal that in the in the episode, but that's what AJ stands for. So AJ Mancuso is uh, endlessly berating uh, Lenny and his team. Uh, the episode culminates in a scene uh, in which AJ and Maddie uh, have have won all of these all of these rivalry challenges, and they're about to declare victory. And then uh, and then Lenny bets they can't do one more one more challenge, which is to throw the longest football pass. And uh, so so what happens? Yeah. 
So they win all these sports challenges, and then Mancuso says, you know what? You know what, Samson? I'm feeling so good. Let's make it double or nothing. One last challenge. And tell you what, Samson, why don't you pick the challenge? Because I'm going to beat you no matter what. So Lenny says, okay, well, how about, how about you catch the longest football pass? Let's see who can throw and catch the longest football pass. Mancuso says, I'm not even going to do that. I'm going to catch this pass in the middle of rush hour traffic. They're standing on a busy intersection. And so, of course, uh, Maddie says, look, AJ, we won. We beat these guys. Let's just go celebrate. Let's get back to work and we'll celebrate. Mancuso says, I said, I'm going to go long. And so Maddie tosses a ball right into the middle of the intersection. Mancuso catches it. Mancuso's ecstatic. He's screaming, yeah, booyah, yeah. All of a sudden you hear, honk, honk. Mancuso looks up and yells, shit. And what this, uh, what this oncoming traffic is, it's not just any old car. It's not just any old truck. No, in fact, this is, uh, this is a truck from the sperm bank, which says Lil Elbert's Love Bank on the side. And it's filled with samples. And this truck comes racing through the intersection because it's a green light. Mancuso just caught a pass in the middle of the intersection. The truck swerves on its brakes, crashes in the middle of the intersection, and uh, Mancuso is now uh, covered. Let's just say that. He's covered in, uh, in, in sample. Sample everywhere, all over AJ Mancuso. So then Lenny turns to Derek and says, I guess you could say he got his jizzed desserts, eh? And then uh, they jump up, Lenny and Derek jump up and high five, and it's a freeze frame, and Naked Eyes, always something there to remind me, plays on the freeze frame of the high five in midair. But then there's also a bonus scene, uh, a la Mr. Rooney getting on the bus at the end of Ferris Bueller. We see as the credits roll and we hear, oh yeah, being played as AJ Mancuso walks back into his bank, walks through the lobby, covered in semen from the Lil Elbert's Love Bank uh, truck that crashed in the middle of the intersection and sprayed AJ Mancuso with seed, if you will. Uh, not unlike Biff getting covered in manure, just way, way worse. So the credits are rolling and we see AJ just drenched with semen from thousands of different individuals uh, walking into the lobby, onto the elevator, just oozing with, with, with sample, getting off the elevator, having to do the worst walk of shame ever as he goes back to his desk to get his car keys to go home. And his, uh, one of his employees offers him a lifesaver which he looks down and grabs the lifesaver, just looks forward, doesn't make eye contact with his employee, just throws the lifesaver at her. It bounces off of her head. And he just walks back to the elevator. And it's a whole homage to, to Ferris Bueller. Long, long walk back across the lobby. Awkward elevator ride with people as he goes down to the parking garage, trying to stay as far away from him as possible. And he's just, of course, miserable this whole time. Uh, 
and he's he's getting it all over the elevator buttons. He's not able to open the door because it's too slippery, and he just comes slipping and sliding out of the elevator, and the elevator door closes closes on his head as we cut to black, and that's the end of that's the end of one of the more disgusting scenes that'll probably never get made because nobody would allow that, I'm sure, even though it's of course it would be simulated. Uh, semen samples that would spill from would splash from this truck onto AJ Mancuso, but uh, it's you know, come on, that's that's comedy. Guy gets guy gets blasted with semen samples and then has to do the uh, principal Rooney walk of shame to get his keys. And then he's slipping and sliding on the elevator. God damn. Uh, there's also an episode entitled uh, Lenny's Christmas Boner. And this whole episode is around the fact that... Oh, where is it? I have it here somewhere. Uh, so this is about the fact that uh, Lenny's never never been able to get an erection at Christmas time. And it all goes back to when he was a young child. Uh, a traumatic experience. Uh, a Santa mishap that he had. He caught, he caught his dad, Cookie, uh, banging his mom, one of Cookie's many wives... Uh, by the Christmas tree in the middle of the night, uh, Lenny woke up and heard ho 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 ho, and uh, <laughs> thought that he would come downstairs and greet Santa on Christmas Eve. And of course, it was not Santa at all. It was his father giving it to his mother by the Christmas tree, uh, which of course traumatized a young Lenny forever, particularly at Christmas time. And he's he's never been able to get an erection at Christmas. And he goes to Tom Durgeon who's the CFO, of course, and a longtime friend and confidant of Lenny. And Durgin wants to make things right. And so he uh, he takes Lenny to a strip club, and he spikes Lenny's drink. He gives him, uh, uh, you know, however, uh, oh, a half a bottle's worth of Viagra. <laughs> and, uh, and so Lenny, between the Viagra and all of the, the lovely ladies dancing at the... Uh, at the club, which is known as the Cardboard Sun, uh, and definitely not to be confused with the real-life Paper Moon, uh, which is uh, which is the strip club in uh, near the real Seacoast Bank. Uh, again, these are not related at all. So it's called the Cardboard Sun, a gentleman's club, and uh, so on a on a half a bottle of Viagra on a last Friday before Christmas, uh, Denny finally is able to get a huge erection. Uh, and he's uh, goes to the strip club, and there's even a musical number where Lenny sings, and all the girls are dancing and singing, and he's singing about his. Uh, he's got this ringle tingle jingle fingle Johnny jolly horny old Chris Kringle ringle dingle bingle jingle boner in my pants. That's how the number ends. I haven't written the rest of it. Uh, and so that's that's the whole musical number with the strippers. But then what Lenny doesn't realize is he doesn't know that he's been, let's say, drugged. Uh, he thinks that this is all natural. You know, he's able to get a Christmas boner for the first time ever. He's so excited. Uh, but then he realizes lunchtime is over. He has to get back to Beach Coast because it's the holiday party. He's supposed to play Santa, and they're, they're bringing in some local children to sit on Santa's lap and... Uh, and ask Santa what they want for Christmas, and Lenny, of course, is horrified and says, "I can't, I can't do this. I can't. I, 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 there's no way I can't go back." But he thinks just perhaps he's he's overreacting, and by the time he gets back to the bank, his uh, his erection will have subsided, and he'll be ready to to greet the kids. Well, he gets back to the bank. He puts on the Santa suit. 
Uh, he tries cold water and whatnot in the bathroom. He's got the Santa suit on, and uh, and then he holds a giant uh, stuffed teddy bear on his lap to uh, to hide his his shame. Cookie comes in and says, "What what the hell you think you're doing, son? You gotta, you gotta greet these kids." And Lenny says, "I won't do it. I won't be Santa." He's like, "We're well, already dressed as Santa." What are you doing with this goddamn bear on your lap? The kids are supposed to sit on your lap. You're Santa, for Christ's sakes. Don't you know how it works? So Cookie rips the Santa, or rips the, uh, this giant stuffed bear off of his lap. And, uh, Lenny then grabs the sailfish, the good old sailfish, off the wall. So many uses for the sailfish. He puts the sailfish on his lap, which then, uh... Cookies, what the hell are you doing, boy? You, you got the teddy bear on your lap. Now you're, you're putting the sailfish on your lap. What are you? What's wrong with you today, son? You're acting crazy. Give me that sailfish. And then a tug of war ensues. And just as this tug of war is happening, uh, you know, a busload of kids files into the boardroom where Santa's workshop is set up. And of course, in slow motion, uh, just as Cookie uh, overpowers Lenny and is able to pull the sailfish off of his lap, uh, revealing what what lies beneath the sailfish uh, just as the kids enter the room and they see uh, a horrific horrific sight even beyond you know just as just as traumatic as as what uh, Lenny saw when he was a kid with his father and the kids scream and they all run out of the room and then Lenny gets up and yells no no and he starts chasing the kids he's like no come back and Lenny of course yells this isn't a boner from kids it's not a boner from kids it's a boner from strippers no, it's a boner from strippers, not kids. It's not a boner from kids. Oh no! And so Lenny is, uh, Lenny's then on his on his knees, hanging his head in shame. And Cookie walks up and rips the Santa jacket and the hat off of his head. Son, you're a disgrace. I've never seen a more disgusting desecration of jolly old Saint Nick. Cookie then puts the suit on and the hat and says, Now, anyways, I'm going to go have sex with your mother, son. <laughs> Merry Christmas to me. It'll be the first time in 30 years. Why, in fact, I think the last time I banged her was on Christmas Eve. But you would have just been a little kid back then. But anyways, Merry Christmas, son. Do something about that boner. It's disgusting. And Cookie walks off, and and then suddenly Lenny's erection goes away, and he's back to square one. He will he will never find himself uh, achieving Christmas boner status ever again after after today's events. Uh, the final thing, uh, the season finale of season one, is uh, so. It ends with uh, Cookie wants to do something, uh, some a promotional event with local Lucha Libre professional wrestlers, and uh, there's there's a new wrestler in town known as La Balena Blanca Bastante, which translates to the Capable Whitefish, and he wants to put on a match between the Capable Whitefish and El Mano Lustroso, which roughly translates to the Shiny Monkey. And he wants to have a big promotion, a wrestling match, a wrestling event between the capable whitefish and the shiny monkey. La Balena Blanca Bastante versus El Mano Lostroso. However, Lenny is not too keen on this idea because, uh, as it turns out, 
uh, Lenny is, in fact, El Mano Lostroso, and he does not want his identity to be revealed. He does not want to be unmasked because it will be bring shame to the Lucha Libre community, uh, to the other luchadors, and it also he feels it will be bring shame upon him if his father Cookie realizes that he has been moonlighting for all these years as a professional, uh, local professional wrestler. Uh, but there's, as I mentioned, there's a new wrestler. Uh, in the uh, in the territory named La Balena Blanca Bastante, again that translates roughly to the capable whitefish, and so they want to put on a match a match between the capable whitefish and the shiny monkey. Uh, Lenny thinks it's a it's a horrible idea, but ultimately uh, Cookie will have his way and will have the shiny monkey El Mano Lostroso. Lenny is actually able to get Lashley to play the role of El Mano. Lostroso in the big match against La Balena Blanca Bastante. Uh, and Cookie brings all the executives, all the bank employees. They get the night off. They go out to watch this wrestling match between the shiny monkey and the capable whitefish. Lenny can't stand the fact uh, that he's not competing in his beloved sport of Lucha Libre. And to, to, save, uh, to save his own shame, I guess, has, has made, made Lashley... Uh, the only other individual who knows the identity of the shiny monkey, El Mano Lostroso. He's made Lashley dress up as as El Mano Lostroso, the shiny monkey, and compete in this match. However, Lashley has no training, and uh, during this match against the capable whitefish, it's quickly revealed uh, as Lashley is getting destroyed by La Balena Blanca Bastante. Uh, he's getting just absolutely destroyed. And Lenny can't bear to see his friend getting destroyed by this wrestler, so he goes to the uh, he goes over to Tipsy's Alehouse to have dinner and uh, and try to block out this this horrible day because he's not he's not competing in the sport that he loves, and his friend is getting just clobbered by the uh, by the capable whitefish. Back at the match, Lashley's getting his ass kicked, and just as La Balena Blanca Bastante is about to unmask Lashley and reveal that the shiny monkey is Lashley, Lashley pulls off. Uh, Triple B's mask, the capable whitefish, revealing that La Balena Blanca Bastante, the capable whitefish, is in fact Garfield Seaman, bank examiner and real-life nemesis of Lenny Sampson. Tom Durgin texts a picture of the unmasked Seaman to Lenny while Lenny is eating his dinner at the alehouse. Lenny spits out his food and yells, The whitefish is Seaman! The whitefish is Seaman! Half of the patrons start spitting out their food as we see on the board that Whitefish is in fact the catch of the day and the special, the dinner special that night. Lenny then yells, La Balena Blanca es simiente, which in Spanish uh, translates to the Whitefish's semen. So the the other half of the diner, uh, the patrons at the restaurant, the Spanish-speaking population, also start spitting out their food. Uh... This is a callback to another episode when Lenny is at the uh, Tipsy's Ale House and gets a voicemail from Garfield Seaman telling him that Beach, po- Beach Coast is getting a full audit investigation. And at that time, Lenny spits out his food and just yells, Seaman! Seaman! And everyone at that time is also grossed out and spits out their lunch. So back to the match. Uh, Lenny, seeing that the white fish is in fact Seaman, goes back to the bank changes into his Elmano Lostroso costume and heads to the arena where he soundly defeats Garfield Seaman in a loser-leaves-town match and order is restored and Lenny's identity is never revealed. 
The next day, Cookie comes into Lenny's uh, office and tells him that Garfield Seaman just called and says that he's suspending bank examination, the bank's examination indefinitely. Out of embarrassment, out of shame, he doesn't feel he can stick around in this town, and he leaves and suspends the bank examination. Cookie then hands over El Mano Lestroso's mask and says, I found this next to your car in the parking lot, and says, uh, When you give this to El Mano Lestroso, tell him how much I admire his work in the ring, that he's a champion to all mankind, and that his tale will be told for a million moons to come. And also that he has appears to have the genitals of an eight-year-old. Lenny, now knowing that Cookie knows, tipped off by the genitals remark, genitals remark, cocks his head back and then smirks, will do, Pop. And that's the end of the scene, end of season one. Uh, bring in the record ratings, the Emmys. I think, uh, I think that goes without saying. So that was a very poor, wow, that was an hour, holy shit. Uh, it's a very poor reading of a very rough and crude uh, outline slash script of a of a TV show called Bank Life that I started writing many many years ago uh, as a result of a number of conversations in person and in text. Long after leaving Florida, Chris and I would continue to text about bank life, and uh, so these are just a few of the ideas. There's also an idea where Lenny. Uh, buys a flux capacitor on eBay and uh, attaches it to uh, Tom Durgeon's high-top conversion van and tries to get up to 88 miles per hour. Uh, but he uh, he's then uh, crashes the car and passes out, is then towed to uh, the neighboring town, which is just an old rundown town that very much looks like it's set in the 1950s. So when he wakes up, He's in the impound lot. He gets out of his car, and he thinks that he's back in 1955. Uh, and then, of course, hilarity ensues because uh, he's very much not uh, in the past. And I have, I have that. There's, there's outlines. There's more things written down somewhere about all these episodes that I need to, I need to unearth. But uh, nevertheless, let me know. Birthdayboypodcast at gmail.com. Did you like Bank Life, what I've told you today? Did you hate it? Was it hard to follow because I literally just found these pieces of paper and these writings and sat down in front of the microphone and it made no sense whatsoever? Was it just complete garbage? That's fine, too. Uh, if you think it's garbage, that's okay. I still happen to like it. It's probably, you know, it's just, you know, dick jokes and semen jokes and, you know, just kind of, you know dated stuff that you can't really do anymore so that's probably why it'll never see the light of day but I maybe in some way shape or form that's the great thing about the internet you can do anything right I like bank life I would like to make bank life come to life someday who knows we'll see but I figured I would just uh, give you a little reading of bank life today okay so that's it. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to just do a, a bonus because I haven't. I feel like I haven't been producing enough of these episodes lately. I only did two in one night last night, and then did a special Sunday Father's Day one a couple weeks ago, a week ago. Mm, delicious water, and uh, yeah. So I figured, you know what? I haven't done one in 
almost 24 hours. Why not? Why not do episode nine of the birthday boy? Because again, I'm going to be out of pocket next week, and so I may or may not, I may or may not get to uh, get to a podcast. So this is just enough. I'm just I'm cramming these down your throat so that uh, if I don't do anything next week, you have time to catch up and then go back and listen to all of them over again. Uh, but I'm not done yet here today, ladies and gentlemen, because I want to. I also unearthed. Some very interesting. Yeah, here we go. So I f- I had forgotten that uh, my buddy Cliff, and we're gonna have a Cliffy call at the end of this too. So Cliffy, I forgot that when we worked at Bank of America in Charlotte together, that uh, Cliff had a pen name. <clears throat> oh man, there we go. Cliff had a pen name. Uh, he called him spell. Uh, he called himself uh, Spitzilla, the lyrical miracle. Uh, and he was really big on writing and uh, and performing freestyle uh, freestyle rap uh, verses, I guess you could say. Uh, so I thought I would. I have two of these, uh, and this is definitely Cliff. Definitely wrote these and would just go around the office performing these to anyone who would listen. Um, and that's definitely a true story. Uh, these were definitely not written and performed by me, um, and then passed off as as Cliff. Originals. These are definitely things that Cliff did and called himself Spitzilla, the lyrical miracle. Uh, so I figured uh, these were these. Gosh, this goes back to like 2014 or 2015, maybe. Mm. 2015. I think that's when. I think that's when Cliff definitely Cliff wrote these. So here's the first one. This was this was the debut of Spitzilla. So here we go. Get ready. I, and I'm not. Uh, I mean, Cliff would do this better than me because this is his. This is his baby here, and I'm not, I'm not a rap guy. I'm not a hip hop guy. Obviously, I can't even. I'm stumbling over my own words, so I'm, I'm going to just try to do this. I can't do it as as good as Cliffy, but uh, so here's here's the debut. Uh, it's called "On the Metrics Dashboard" uh, by Spitzilla, aka the Lyrical Miracle, aka Cliffy Womack, and uh, you know it was very very topical to uh, to some of the things that we were doing at the bank on the uh, on the Metrics Dashboard. So here we go. On the metrics dashboard, you look like cardboard because you're so fucking weak when my rhymes send you overboard. Archer, spot fire, my rhymes go wire to wire. Ain't no other undercover motherfucker on fire. Like me, too sweet, can't beat this beat because I'm slaying, swaying, play a hatin' ball is like Pete. Rose, got my hose, blow my nose, touch your toes. Don't ever let the weather sever my ties to those. Fleece sweaters, better cheddars. You could never force me to change. Out of my vest, be like the rest. I'm Womack for life, Spitzilla all night. Because a lyrical miracle makes his rhymes fit real tight. Like my penis and them bitches, a genius fixing glitches. Don't try to stop me, cannot top me, sunny delight. Good night, I'm out of here. No more flow, got to go, cause I'm too horny. Tell the world my story, hee hee. And then in parentheses it says grabs crotch, so that's nice, Cliff. Uh, and then that's it, Cliff Womack, a.k.a. Spitzilla, the lyrical miracle. Uh, Cliffy then has another one. And I guess he retired shortly after this, or maybe he's still, maybe he's still spitting out these... Uh, dope rhymes. Uh, this was when our good buddy uh, Greg, Greg Houston, Greggy left the bank to go work for Wells Fargo. And that was a very sad day back in 2015. Uh, so Cliffy wrote a goodbye, uh, some goodbye rhymes for Greggy on his way out the door. And uh, those rhymes are as follows. 
Yo, Greggy, I'ma keep this real. They ain't no motherfucking words for the sadness I feel. Spitzilla, that's my name. But when it comes to your last day, I feel such goddamn pain because you're leaving, heading to Wells Fargo. Just like the time my bitch moved her ass to Key Largo, Florida. That's where you is from. See you leaving, watch you going makes me want to completely be your friend forever. Light as feathers, never better through the stormy weather. It's time to party, so tap that keg. I'm a drink and smoke and dance and joke with my friend Greg. Houston, we have a boner. But now I'm empty like a printer who is out of toner. Don't leave me. You're my friend, you know. Hate to see you saying bye-bye. Love to watch you go. Yo, peace out, Greggy. You is my motherfucking friend forever. XOXO, Spitzilla. That kind of ended abruptly. Oh, so that's uh, those are two, <laughs> two uh, rhymes, two two works works of art. I really would say, uh, definitely one hundred, one hundred percent written and performed by Cliffy Womack, who I guarantee you has not listened to a, a second of these podcasts, which is funny in itself, but it also sucks because you know, f- come on, Cliff, get up, get off your ass, dude. Listen to the podcast, will you? Come on, man. It's good fun. You'll hate it. Listen to it. You'll love it. Come on. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, that's it. That's it. I mean, this is an hour and ten fucking minutes. I thought, I looked at my scripts here, and I thought, oh, I can read this in like 20 minutes. It'll be a mini podcast. We'll be done. Well, there you go. You've got a full episode nine for today. We just had... Uh, 24 hours ago, there were six episodes of this goddamn thing, and now there are nine. And do not get used to that. That's just purely because I found these things I wanted to read uh, before going uh, before the, the the week gets gets away from me. So this is not the norm. There's not going to be Sunday podcast. That was one time on Father's Day. It's it's just going to be whenever I. That's the thing. It's going to be whenever I feel like do it. So feel like doing it. So there's sometimes there might be days where you get a couple in a row. Or weeks where you get a couple in a row. And there might be weeks where nothing happens. So that's the fun. You'll just uh, you'll just have to just wait and see. Uh, so we're going to leave with one more thing. And we're going to get out of here. And we're going to play a call from, I think, I think we're going to do Grandma Cliff. Yeah, I believe there's a Grandma Cliff call that I want to play. Yeah. Uh, and this was in response to, oh, you know what? No, no, no. You know what? Today, I've decided we're going to have the debut of Grandpa Cliff. Grandpa Cliff was a call. That was when I first started calling Cliffy. And I, I probably have already mentioned this, but I would I would be driving, uh, you know, f- from Nashua, not even to Boston. I'd have to go all the way to fucking Dorchester every day for work, my last, my last gig. And, uh, you know, sometimes I would take the train, uh, but that just took, took forever and... I hate, but I hated the wear and tear on my car. But sometimes I would take my car because it was less expensive. Because I would have to pay hundreds of dollars a month for the train and the subway and the commuter rail and all that shit. Blah blah blah. So I would, I would find myself just sitting in the car, as I've done so many times, commuting to Boston and the greater Boston area for ninety minutes, two hours, two and a half hours, sometimes just one way. And I would have nothing to do, going to work, coming from work, just nothing to do. So. I would uh, turn on the voice recorder on my phone and um, I would just record. I would record. I wasn't actually calling Cliff. These aren't, these aren't actual calls. Let you in on the details, how the magic happens. Uh, this is me uh, just using the voice memo feature, voice memo app on the, on the iPhone and recording 
you know, and just, just going like, no, there's no script or anything. I'm just sitting there in traffic. So I have, I have nothing but time to kill. So some of these calls, you know, they're five, 10 minutes long. And then I would do like five different calls and then I would get home and then I would just send them all to cliff. And the great thing is, is a lot of the times I would, I would turn on this voice recorder and it would go through the Bluetooth in the car, which would then create a telephone sounding effect. So it sounds like they're real voicemails. That's why some of them don't. Some of them just sound like I'm recording on a, on a, on my phone. Others sound like a phone call. Anyway, that's enough of that. Uh, so this, uh, so what, what started it all is I was just, as I often do, I'll sit in the car, I'll listen to music or I'll listen to podcasts, I'll listen to Howard Stern or whatever. And, uh, a lot of times I just, you know, two hours to get home, I'll just talk to myself. I'll just sit there and I'll have a conversation with myself as different characters. And one day I talked for 45 minutes, just not recording, just talking to myself, pretending that I was Grandpa Cliff calling Cliff. So that's where it all started. Cliffy, this is your grandfather. Cliff, Cliff, this is Grandpa Cliff, Cliff, blah, 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 all that stuff. So I'm going to, I'm not going to play. So that was how it all started was Grandpa Cliff called a number of times and I would just go on and on. And, and I'll, I'll play them someday. I'm going to do a podcast, like a bonus podcast, after I've played through every single one of these messages that I've sent to Cliff, as all the, all the different ridiculous characters, I'm going to put together, uh, I'm going to put them all chronologically together just in one kind of bonus podcast. And, uh, uh, and, and then you'll hear all of the Grandpa Cliff ones. They're, they're okay. They're funny. They're not, you know, Grandma Cliff and Uncle Cliffy, uh, you know, and Cliffy Baseball. Those, those ones are funny. Um, Grandpa Cliff is funny too, but, uh, this one though, I think was pretty good. This is a Grandpa Cliff. You know, I'm going to, I'm just, as I'm talking, I'm going to play, here's a bonus for you. I'm going to give you two calls because they go together. I'm going to play Grandpa Cliff. Uh, he was calling about something related to Grandma Cliff and then the follow-up call from G Grandma Cliff calling to respond to what, uh, Grandpa Cliff, uh, said in his voicemail to, to Cliff. And the real Cliff is not listening. These these podcasts are basically becoming just entire episodes about Cliff. It's the Cliff cast. And he's not even fucking listening. I know you're not. You goddamn asshole. Uh, anyway. So, yeah. So, that's what we're going to do. We're going to play Cliffy. This is Grandpa Cliff calling Cliff. And then you're going to get a bonus. Grandma Cliff calling to respond to Grandpa Cliff. Hope you enjoy. Uh, birthdayboypodcast at gmail.com. Send me an email. Whatever you want to say. Uh, please keep the emails and the texts coming. I love the feedback. I love talking to you about these shows. I love doing these shows. It's fun. And uh, I hope you're enjoying them as much as I'm enjoying uh, recording them because it's a lot of fun. And I think there's a lot of cool places that this whole thing can go. And I wanted to try something different and something new. And it's just, it's not me. Today's show was not me talking about things that I like or hate or whatever, talking about my day or my week. Just I just wanted to read some stuff that I wrote a long time ago and see what you think. And so there it is. That's out there. It's out there now. Okay. So we're going to go and uh, enjoy these two grandpa cliff and grandma cliff back to back calls. As we leave you here on the birthday boy podcast, have a great day. I, I used to say have a great week. Cause I was doing these every week. Who knows when the fuck next I'm going to talk to you. It's not going to be tomorrow. I know that much. It's not going to be any time. <laughs> it's not going to be any time this week. Cause I got shit to do. And, uh, I wasn't going to do this today, but uh, there was an after-school activity that got canceled, so I had some extra time. Here I am recording this podcast for you. I hope you've enjoyed it. I love you all for listening. I really do. It's fucking phenomenal. And uh, finally, uh, I just want to leave you by saying uh, positivity is for big goddamn 
assholes covered in uh, semen samples from uh, El Lil Elbert's uh, love bank truck. That, that's what positivity is for. It's for those assholes. Uh, but, you know, kindness matters. Yeah, kindness does matter. Okay. <sighs> that's it. Talk to you soon. Later. Gators.
Okay, I think you can fill in the rest of the pieces of that puzzle without any help from your grandpa, Cliff. Cliff, you know, you know all about the oral sex, Cliff. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. I know you know about the, uh, the having sex with your right hand because, well, let's go back to last week's conversation. We don't need to get any further down that path. But listen, Cliff, that's, that's what's got your grandmother so irate these days is I just, I have a kink in my neck. Let's not say any more than that. It's hard to bend over. It's hard to, hard to do that motion, Cliff. So you understand, I don't want to get into the details, but it's a very particular motion. It involves a lot of flexibility. Cliffy, you know what I'm saying, and it's just very hard for a man of my age to get down there to do the things that are necessary to produce, uh, let's shall we say, the results, Cliffy, the results that your grandmother is expecting. Uh, she has a high standard because I've, let's just say, we're Womack men, Cliff. We set the bar, huh? we set the bar high in the oral sex department. I don't need to tell you that, Cliff. We're Womacks, Cliff. We name our sons, Cliff. We marry women who take our first and last name. We like a good bagel. Sometimes we get cut off in traffic, Cliff. And we pleasure our women orally, and we set the bar quite high, if I may say so, Cliff. Anyways, your grandmother's going to call you if she hasn't already. Uh, just be prepared, Cliff. That's all I have to say. Okay. You're a good boy. Why don't you call us one of these days, Cliff? Close down the pound pound for an hour or two and call your grandmother or your grandfather. Okay. Okay, Cliff. Hello, Cliff. Hello? Is anybody there? Oh, Cliff. Ugh. Oh, God. Something in my throat, Cliff. I don't know what, what to say. Listen, Cliffy, perhaps your grandpa Cliff is giving you a call. I don't know what he said, but I want you to cover your ears. I don't want you listening to the things he said. I was in the other room. I know that he said some things about the reasons for why I'm so upset, Cliff. And they are false, Cliff. They're false. Oh, God damn it. Why does that son of a bitch say such things, such horrible things, Cliff? There's no truth to the rumors, and I'm not going to repeat what your grandfather said, Cliff, but there's no truth to the rumors. I'm not even going to say what, and even though it has to do with oral stimulation, Cliff, and I don't want to tell you anything more than that, except that your grandfather hasn't pleasured me orally in quite some time, Cliff, but that's not your business. That's not for him to share with you, Clifford. I don't appreciate it. You don't need to know about how often or when or in what fashion I get, uh, you know, let's just say stimulated in the, uh, right in the, uh, in those regions. I don't even want to say it, Cliff. It's so, it's so horrible. It's not something that grandmothers should say to their grandsons, of course. I don't have much to say because you never call, Cliff, and you never come back. That's okay, though, Cliff, because I love you. You're my little baby boy, baby grandson, little butter boy, baby boy, Cliffy boy. And I love you. Your grandma Cliffy loves you no matter what, Cliff. Okay, listen, Cliff, I need to tell you something, and perhaps you didn't know this. 
But you wouldn't, you were not named after your grandpa Cliff. Even though all the men in the Womack family are named Cliff. Cliff, you were not named after Grandpa Cliff. It's so scandalous, but I thought I should tell you. Because you, Cliff, you were named after Dr. Heathcliff Huxtable from the Cosby Show. And I want to tell you this, Cliffy, because it's such a disgrace now, you know, because of the things that he's done. I can't even speak about the horrible, horrible things he's done to those poor girls, Cliff. With those drinks, you know, with the things going to the drinks... Oh, it's terrible, Cliff. It's horrible. I can't speak of it, Cliff. And the girls would wake up with with his, well, let's just say penis in their face, Cliff. It's unbelievably bad. But you're, that's who you're named after, Cliff. That's your namesake. I just wanted to tell you in case you were wondering. Cliffy, that's okay, though, because... Dr. Heathcliff Huxtable is a character played on television by a horrible man. Cliff Huxtable didn't do those horrible things. So you don't need to worry about it either, Cliffy. Okay. I love you, Cliffy. It's your Grandma Cliff. Call me Cliff. It's Grandma Cliff Cliff. Listen, your grandma loves you. Your little... Your little silly little baby beautiful boy, baby boy, Cliffy. Grandma Cliffy loves a little baby boy, Cliffy. Okay, Cliff. I suppose the pound pound's open for business, so I'll go. Uh, I'll leave you be. Call me back. Oh, oh, God damn it. Bye.